We are continuing with our short series of studies on prophecy and the Word of God. Last week, we saw that prophets speak the Word of God and of necessity. They must have an intimate relationship with God. Otherwise, how could they possibly transmit the Word of God to the people? Of course, there will be false prophets who do not have the knowledge of and relationship with God and what they pass on is most certainly the false word. You remember a month ago while speaking of Christ as the prophet, we noted that God promised to raise up a prophet like Moses. In Deuteronomy 18.15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. A prophet like Moses There have been speculations as to who that prophet may be. However, we take that reference to be Jesus. Jesus came as the word of God, speaking God's word to a fallen people. As God and as one speaking the words of God, he is the prophet par excellence, a prophet that God raised up for the redemption of his people. And that's why we need to listen to him. However, in what sense was Moses a prophet? The answer is simple. Moses was chosen by God and had an intimate relationship with God. He spoke the words of God to Israel. Moses was also instrumental in the giving of the Ten Commandments of God, the commandments being an image of the nature of God. This closeness with God is without comparison in Israel, as Deuteronomy records for us. In Deuteronomy 34.10, there has not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. With this preamble, we come to see the calling of the three prophets of the Old Testament, namely Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. Through them, we see three aspects of God's call. Jeremiah, God's chosen and God's word implanted. Ezekiel, God's word to a rebellious house. Isaiah, the realization of sin and atonement. The prophet Jeremiah was chosen by God and he speaks the word of God to the nations. The purpose was simply to call them to return to their creator. One does not choose to be a prophet. Let's make that clear. It is an assignment given by God. So, we noted in Jeremiah, the word of God came to him saying that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It's all God's choice. And God chooses at his own time. This came in the 13th year of King Josiah's reign. And during King Josiah's reign, the word of the covenant, that is probably the book of Deuteronomy, was discovered in the temple. And that was five years after Jeremiah was called 
to be a prophet. And that discovery of the book of Deuteronomy initiated a reformation in King Josiah's reign. He purged the heathen worship and he brought back to Israel the worship of Yahweh, their God. What was Jeremiah's involvement in that process? We do not know. Of course, Jeremiah would have been speaking the word of God, the word of repentance to Israel. However, the reformation of Josiah did not continue as his own son promoted the worship of heathen gods. Very sad. Anyway, Jeremiah continued his prophetic activity, his prophetic message, until Israel was taken into captivity. Secondly, the choice of a prophet does not depend on his or her ability to capture an audience, which is the way we think today. Knowing how to speak well in public is not a prerequisite. Just because one is young, it does not preclude one from speaking the words of God, that is, to be a prophet. Remember Moses' objection to his calling? He did not think he was a good speaker. And Jeremiah raised the same problem. Jeremiah said, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. That's what God is saying. And whatever I command you, you speak. It is quite clear that God's choice is not based on natural human ability. Though God does bestow the ability to accomplish the task he gives to us. Rather, it is precisely because of their inability that God chose them. So that it could be plainly seen that the prophet's work is wholly the work of God. As a result of the intimate relationship with God, the prophet will go where God commands him and speak the words that God puts in his mouth. God does not accept one's inability as an adequate excuse to opt out. The reason is because he provides the grace to complete the task he gives to us. And thirdly, when God commissions a person, God provides all that is necessary for those duties to be carried out. That is, if we are carrying out the work of God. And this is what God did to Jeremiah. God said, I will put my words in your mouth. I will overthrow, I will destroy, I will build, and I will plant. We are instruments in that process. We are not the accomplisher of all that. Next, we want to look at the call of Ezekiel. He was asked to speak the words of God to a rebellious house, to a people that would not listen. Why on earth does God want us to do that? I, well, it's hard to understand. I will read that passage. Um, because of communication problem, we don't have it on the screen. So, um, if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 2, 
verses 1 to 7. And he said to me, Son of man, that is to Ezekiel, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit carried me. The Spirit entered into me and set my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are also imprudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet had been amongst them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they, refuse, whether they hear or refuse to hear. That's not the issue, for they are a rebellious house. Again, we note that the prophet Ezekiel was to speak the words of God. It was a very difficult assignment as he had to respond to a call which was to speak the words of God to a rebellious people who stubbornly refused to hear. What a waste of time, one might say. One of the teachings of uh, church growth is to move on from unprofitable ministry where there is little or no response. I grew up in a church in Singapore where there were two missionaries from New Zealand. They were there to reach out to the Muslim. And over the 30 years that they were there, they might just be able to count the number of converts on the fingers of one hand. They persevered because they were called to such a ministry. And about 20 years ago, we went to minister to the Chinese workers in Murray Bridge. Today, we have little to show or boast about, though we can still count a few that are still with us. Such is the nature of ministry. We need to ask, why does God send us out to a task which we see as an unrewarding ministry? Again, the answer is quite simple. The message of salvation from God needs to be told to all corners of the earth because the whole world belongs to God. The prophet brings to the people the message of God. The prophet does not have any control over the outcome. And it is this outcome orientation that is plaguing the whole church. The prophet is simply the servant of God and does what the master decides. I'm sure we all have seen the old movie Charleston Heston in Ben-Hur and we know about the famous chariot race and this is a story. Charleston was asking the director how am I going to win this race? To which the director replied you just stay on that chariot 
and I will win the race for you. We need to simply stay on our chariot to do what we are asked to do and let God do the rest for us. And lastly, we're going to look at Isaiah. Isaiah, the realization of sin and atonement. And we, what we need to see here is that the need for the realization of sin and repentance. There's a need to see that before one can be assigned to the task of a prophet. And this passage comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. And I'll read that. I'll read that in sections. The first seven verses. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. That's Isaiah speaking. Up and high, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, the heavenly creatures. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I say, there's Isaiah, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This passage is well known to most people. Isaiah was in the temple, and he saw that awesome holiness of God. And that holiness brought about a profound sense of sin in Isaiah. And the problem with us today is that we do not see the holiness of God. It's not much good telling people that they have sinned because firstly, they might not want to acknowledge that and secondly, if they do, well, what do they do about it? You see, when we start off by telling people of their sin, we are sending them to their own resources to deal with it. They won't and they can't. We need to tell them about the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is the way God went about redeeming His people. His holiness includes His grace and His love. And when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, it did not take much from him to realize his decadent state. His acknowledgement was just about spontaneous. That being so, the atonement was done by God. That's where we read. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, and he touched his mouth. We do not atone for our sins 
God had already done it. The atonement for our sins was done by God. We said earlier that speaking inability is not an excuse. Our speaking ability is not a prerequisite, but holiness is. The reason is that we need to have the contents to speak on. You see, one may have teaching skills, but what is the substance of the teaching? One may have speaking skills, but what is the content of what we speak of? One cannot speak the words of God without being with Him and knowing Him. A prophet needs to be restored from sin to a holy relationship with God. And it's only after this purification from sin that the call and response can take place. We do not respond on our own initiative. And so this is Isaiah's response. And having had the cold touch his lips and purified from skin, uh, from sin, he said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. The commission of Isaiah is again similar to the one of Ezekiel. Isaiah was to go to a people who would not hear. The prophet's task is not an easy one. Going to a people in the natural state of sin and restoring the need of restoration in their framework, that is, when you tell them about sin, they need to change. They need to change themselves. That's their natural framework. That will not work. Natural understanding cannot lead to a restoration in God's framework. It needs intervention from outside the person in order for them to see their need. The prophet's task is simply to herald forth the message and God will do the rest. And that's why Isaiah finally said these words. And so in verse 9 of that chapter, Isaiah said, and Isaiah was told, Go and say to these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of these people dull, and their eyes heavy. Blind their eyes, lest they may see, and hear, and understand, and turn, and be healed. The things of God are given by God. The knowledge of God is given by God. We dare not and we cannot pry into the sanctum of God as if we can analyze Him and decipher Him and work Him out. It is not difficult to see that God has blinded the eyes of those who rebel against Him because they trusted in their own ability and their own certainty. Thus, it is only God Himself in His grace that God can open the eyes and ears of people. The knowledge of God 
does not come from our intellect. The knowledge of God is a gift from God and we only receive it when we bow before Him in homage and in submission. And unless we do it, we will not know Him.